welcome to episode 43 of the Walsh Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about art retreats with my guest, Elizabeth Duvivier. Elizabeth is the founder and director of Squam Art Workshops. She loves long, lazy hours to write, wild pagan dinner parties, the smell of grated ginger, and wandering into the mystic, among other things. Her most favorite job ever was teaching creative writing at the New Hampshire Institute of Art. She completely overindulges her dogs and has a mad crush on Providence, Rhode Island. Elizabeth Duvivier, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, Abby. Um, I think that your intro might be sort of the most fun intro of any guest I've ever had. <laughs> I have to say, I was like, wow, that's a good one. Well, <laughs> very I have descriptive. To tell you, it's, it's always challenging for me. It's not often, very rare, that I have to deliver up a bio. And when I do, it, it is a challenge for me. I, I don't, you know, I don't generally see myself from a perspective that fits you know, in a nice, neat box. Right. So, um, but <laughs> so, this is how, this is how, that's definitely how I see myself. So yeah. There okay. Is. There it is. Exactly. And I think that that, that's a good thing. I like the smell of grated ginger too. So uh, it's, it's really energizing. And every time I smell, it'll take me either to like the Caribbean or I love to cook. So just, but that's, and there are lots of smells I like, but that one in particular it, every time it gets me, like yeah. the great grating fresh ginger, it just Perfect. gets me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I can relate. So, all right. So I want to hear a little bit about you before we, um, jump into hearing about Squam. Um, mm-hmm. so where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up outside Philadelphia. I was born in Boston and we lived there. We lived in, uh, Newton, which is a little suburb outside Boston till I was about five. And what's funny is when I went to college, um, I told everyone I was from Boston because it was just so imprinted on my head. My mother is from Boston and she really never resettled to Philadelphia. And it was only when I was in college, I was like, wait, I went from kindergarten through 12th grade in Pennsylvania. I'm not from Boston. <laughs> I'm from Pennsylvania. But it was just very like... You know, she just, that was home. Home right. was Boston. But I'm, I actually grew up in a town called Media. And it's, um, you know, it's just a little suburb outside Philadelphia. Okay. And were your parents creative people? And what did they do? My dad is an aeronautical engineer. So that's why we were in Boston. He was doing some doctorate work at MIT. And um, so, you know, engineers, I believe engineers are extremely creative. Um, I know that they are, they're problem solvers by nature. It's a different sort of creativity. Um, but I worked with engineers at one point. I worked in an engineering manufacturing company for about seven years. So I, I see them as very creative and he loved to draw and sketch, but more, you know, more like airplanes and (laughs) engines and things that weren't really into my thing. Um, my mother, um, had worked for a newspaper, uh, the Boston Post, which was a huge, huge newspaper um, before it folded in 1956. And um, so she loved writing. She loved journalism. She loved politics. She still does. They're both still alive, so I shouldn't be talking about them in the past times. They still love all these things. Big, big readers. I mean, just the the house of books, you know. So that would that is really the influence in terms of creativity was um, more of a, you know, brain-centered, um, for lack of a better word, intellectual-centered um, kind of creative environment. Not so much with the hands-on. That was my grandmother who lived with us for a while. And I've always said the June Squam session, and I actually said it the night we launched it, um, her birthday was June 4th, and it's always the first week of June. And she was the one who knit and sewed and hooked rugs. And I have tons of things in my home that she made with her hands. And she always was making something with her hands. So I had kind of a full um, gamut. I definitely didn't have the um, exposure to artists, living artists. I thought artists were all dead. And you had to be born in a special pod. And you were just an artist from the day you arrived. (laughs) You know, I just had very odd understandings of artists as a kid. That's so funny. I think I really did too. I remember feeling like I couldn't understand how an artist would just 
make art all day. Like mm-hmm. how can, how is that possible? Like wouldn't mm-hmm. they just get tired of like constantly painting? Like I just couldn't understand. I remember being as a kid, just, just that was like totally confounding to me. Like I, I never, I don't think I really knew a working artist. And so I couldn't ask questions and I didn't understand. I just didn't think that that was a, a possibility. So exactly. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Me that's too. interesting. Yep. Okay. So where did you go to school and what did you study? Um, at what point? Like for college. I, um, for college? Yeah. I went to school. Well, I should back up a little bit. Okay. In high school, I got a scholarship to uh, the Pennsylvania Governor's School for the Arts, where I was immersed in all sorts of arts. They had, you know, drawing, painting, ballet. I was there for writing, creative writing. Um, and that really broke my world open as a junior. So I was probably like, I don't know, 15, 16. And um, completely, you know, bouleverse, you know, just like flipped me on my head um, and dropped me into a world. I mean, these were teenagers who were photographers, like real photographers, you know, and it was just like, wow. Um, And so when I came out of that, I was heading into my senior year and um, really didn't want to go to college. I I truly did not have any interest in going to the normal four-year liberal arts experience at all. And my parents were um, quite concerned about this. And so as we went through the process, um, I just was just, you know, I would apply to the schools they wanted me to go to. And then I would just refuse to go. And it was, it was, it was one of those fun teenage times, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. For them. But, <laughs> but the thing, the reason I wanted to share that was, is kind of an odd life life change. And I'm sure we can all look back at our lives and be like, wow, like, where did you get off on the tracks over here? But what happened was because of the scholarship and I had finished all my English requirements, um, I was allowed to go to Swarthmore college, which was just, um, a town over or so. So my senior year in high school, I was going to freshman, um, English classes at Swarthmore, which is a, you know, pretty heavy duty. Uh, yeah. That's an amazing school. school so yeah. that's a great opportunity. Yeah. And so once I was there, I was like, okay, I could do this. Cause I really liked Swarthmore, but it was too late at that point to do that. Cause you know, you apply in, I don't know, October. And so, um, so then it was, by that time it was, I don't know, April, May, June, I think it was June. And my mother was a little bit that I wasn't going to college. And she um, said, well, you have these friends at Swarthmore and their father's a professor at this college in Wisconsin. And it was Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin. And she said, why don't you go there for a year and then you can transfer to Swarthmore. And I was like, okay. You know, so I went out to Wisconsin, which I had no idea what that was about. Um, I, I, I just, I can't even begin to tell you how clueless I was. It would be embarrassing if I really admitted my geographical limitations. <laughs> but I, I'm really, at the time, it's embarrassing. I was very knowledgeable about some things. And then like, I thought Chicago was a state. I thought it was <laughs> north of, I don't know where. And so I get to Wisconsin, I get to Lawrence, which is a lovely school. And I love the Midwest. I had never been there. I love the people. I love the energy. I love the vibe. I made good friends. And so by the end of the first year, I didn't want to transfer. It was very social. You know, I had, I had a social life and I didn't, wasn't interested in letting it go. Academically, it didn't, you know, it didn't rock my world. So I, I kind of did I kind of finished things up pretty early and then did a second degree in French. And, um, so, so that was that. And then after college, um, I, (laughs) I really, I I was just, I'm not, I'm not a role model to anyone. That's what I want to underline here. I am not a role model. I did not want to do anything that was being asked of me. I really, my vision and my dream was to like live on a mountain somewhere and just write, which was not an option. So I ended up in boarding school, teaching French and coaching lacrosse at a a prep school. It's funny, you know, uh, I probably shouldn't say that, but Oh, I guess I can say this on the air. I was at a school um, that first year in Williamstown, Massachusetts, and one of my students was Justin Theroux, who's now engaged to um, Jennifer Aniston, which is kind of oh like... Oh, my goodness. Just that's funny. funny. <laughs> I know, it's so silly. You know, you meet, you meet different people along the way. Yeah. I, was coach, I was at boarding school, and then I was at boarding school in uh, New Hampshire, Holderness. Oh, and, yeah. Um, but that was definitely not for me. I am a, I'm a deep, deep introvert. And, um, 
and need lots and lots of alone time. And when you're teaching at a boarding school, you are um, full on mommy running the dorm, you know, coming in at midnight. They're like, he broke up with me and she's mad at me. And, you know, it's just like it never ends. You know, you're coaching and you're teaching and you're coaching. So in the summers, I would go to Middlebury College and I was um, doing graduate work there at um, the French school and also at Breadloaf. And, um, and then in about, um, when I was about 30, I just, I, I quit all of that. And just, um, I had, it was just one of those life things where I did not want to be in New Hampshire. I was there because my, um, who's now my ex-husband, um, wonderful, wonderful guy. We're great friends. I have to say that because if you say divorce, people are like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, it's all, all good. Anyway, he wanted to be in New Hampshire. I did not want to be in New Hampshire, but the compromise was, well, then I won't work. And I will write um, full time, and so that was how that all began. So that's pretty much my school. Interesting. Okay, so that's how you made it to New Hampshire, which is where Squam <laughs> is located. Exactly. Um, right. Okay. So then you um, you began Squam in Squam Art Workshops in 2008, mm-hmm. um, and it was sort of a way to bring a similar experience to the East Coast as the one that you'd had at Art Fest. Exactly. So what is Art Fest for people who maybe haven't heard of it or who have never been? And oh. describe like what your experience was like that made you say, I want to do this on the East Coast. Oh, Art Fest is just one of the most amazing, amazing things. It changed my life, but I also happen to know it changed many, many, many lives. I bow down to Tisha Moore, who is the founder of that. Um, I don't think she's doing that exact thing anymore, but she always is doing very, very cool things. And so much of the community that I know and grew from um, in this online world and the the Squam kind of gatherings that happen um, came right out of ArtFest. So I really see her as a central um, beginning, beginning point for so much that we take for granted right now that we see everywhere in these online workshops and all these creative things. Um, what I loved about it for me was prior to that. And I've said this before. So if someone's listening, they're like, God, I've heard that story. (laughs) But, um, I thought I had a social disorder, Abby. I really did. I was working at a company in an engineering manufacturing company. This is in 2006. Um, and I'd been there for about seven years and, um, I'm living in New Hampshire and I just really didn't have any friends. That's the honest truth. I couldn't connect with the people at work. Um, they're lovely. They were kind, they're wonderful. And we had nothing in common. And so I would just feel like there was clearly something wrong with me. They all got along. They all wanted to talk about the things that they were talking about. So for me, art fest was a revelation because it connected me with my tribe. Because once I got connected with my tribe, I was fine. I knew they existed. They might not live in New Hampshire, but they exist. And online I can connect with them and I can find them and, and I don't feel so alienated and I don't feel so alone. And it's funny, I know you spoke with Melanie Falick recently and I was talking to her um, a couple weeks ago and she was saying how at one point in the knitting, she was always a knitter and she worked at this magazine early on in her career. And she was like, knitters were all in the closet. She was like, it was 10 years after I left that magazine, I ran into some friends and we realized we were all knitters at that time, but we never told each other. Uh-huh. And so I feel that for me, it was sort of like that. Like I found a connection to people that I had never had in my life, in my life. Okay. I just never, I'd never had that. Right. So your, your people were there and, yes. um, yes. and art fest is like a weekend long retreat and their workshops and mm-hmm. yep. Tisha's focus was mostly mixed media. As I remember it, it okay. was much larger than anything I do at Squam. Squam, I never go over 200 people ever. Okay. Um, Tisha's were like 350. And the last time I went, it was a lot more than that. It might've even been like 500. So okay. they they were much larger, but it was very mixed media focused, which I adore. I, I love mixed media, but when I started Squam, I wanted much more variety of things. Anything that I was interested in, I kind of wanted to have there. So, you know, there's always, from the get-go, there was always mixed media, but there was always something three-dimensional, like outdoor Andy Goldsworthy kind of sculpture. Um, there was painting, there was photography, there was writing. And then, obviously, as soon as we expanded into the June and the textiles, 
um, you know, you had knitting and, and embroidery and sewing and repurposing, and it just went on from there. So basically we do everything that we can do in four days where, so there's no oil painting, there's no clay, no ceramics. Um, and you know, it's tough to do certain things like quilting and dyeing because just from the, at least at, at Squam at the lake, the, the, the environment just doesn't really lend itself to it. I've tried it. It's just hard. So, and there's so many great retreats for those things that it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, okay. So. so, so tell us a little bit about the place itself. Um, so oh. tell us about like Squam Lake and what it looks like, what the camp is like. I know there are a lot of camps right around that area. Um, so just sort of describe the, the physical environment. Yeah. Um, well, it's sort of two things. There's Squam Lake, which is extraordinary because it's very, very well protected. And if you go about three miles across from it, you're at Winnipesaukee, Lake Winnipesaukee, which is the largest lake. Squam is the second largest lake in New Hampshire. And it wasn't as well protected. And so you have, you know, big boats and jet skis and people who want to put grass right up to the lake and just doing, you know, it's just not as, um, keeping it as tranquil and, and natural. Um, Squam has a very dedicated body um, that we, we Squam Art Workshops donates to every single year, which is called the Squam Lakes Association. I don't know, something like that. I'll have to go up. I think it's Squam Lakes Association. And um, Conservation Society. I don't know. Um, it's not my website. But anyway, it takes care of the lake. It really keeps things where people don't build houses right up to the edge. They have a... Um, a, a horsepower limit on the boat size. So that keeps people's big boats off. It's mostly for sailing. It's mostly for kayaking and that allows the loons and the eagles to nest and, um, have more tranquility. And so the lake itself is lovely. It's surrounded by the white mountains. So you can, from camp, you can, you can swim and you can hike and then you can just go right across the street, which is where I used to live. I used to live on the side of Doublehead mountain and hike the mountains, just just walk right up the mountains. So it's beautiful. If, if you like that kind of thing, if you like pine trees and lakes and, you know, mountains, it's beautiful. If that's not your vibe, you won't like it. Um, and then the camps themselves is, are a fascinating story. And I would encourage anyone to go to the Rocky Wald website. Um, it's rdcsquam.com and read up on the history. That was begun by two women um, in the late 1800s who um, founded the camps and then the older woman died and the younger woman who was a single mom with two children in her 20s because of the Civil War, she was a single mom. And um, she continued growing that camp as a place for families to come. And that's why each cottage has a, has a weird name. They're either a family name or a funny name, but each of those cottages were a family. And so they're not set up like dormitories or hotels they're set up like a home you know there's a like the bathrooms down the hall and there's bedrooms and there's a living room and a dock etc um so they're each quirky and they're each unique and um people who come to the art workshops really enjoy you know i want to be in brown betty or i want to be in arc or can i be in summers this year and you know so there's there's qualities to the experience of like staying in different cottages um but it's just it's really beautiful. It's, I don't know. It's, it, again, it's, if you, it's a, it's a, it's a very sacred space. When you get there, the world kind of drops off and you drop into a certain deep, deep time. And I think that's part of the appeal of the four days is everything's taken care of. It's, it's a resort. So food, laundry, not laundry, but like, you know, housekeeping, all that kind of stuff. You don't have anything to worry about. You don't have to drive anywhere. You walk everywhere. So your days stretch out. All you're focused on is whatever interests you most, if it's embroidery or painting or knitting or photography, and you're around other people who are passionate about those very same things. And so your days just like get really rich and slow and you breathe. There's just a lot of like, ah, you can just sit and hang out and it's quiet. And internet historically has been a bit sketchy. Um, they're bringing it in, um, and it's there, but it's also a really good opportunity to be offline and be off your phone. And so, yeah, it's kind of like that. Okay. So, um, so it sounds 
amazing. Um, so, um, the movie on Golden Pond was filmed in Squaw Lake, it was. right? Yeah. So for people who might have seen that movie way back when and need a visual that. Um, it's exactly like that. That's yeah. the town. It's, it's Holderness is still exactly like that. So if you, and they do have tours on the lake if you wanted to take it, but you don't even need to take a tour. You can just be like, oh, there's that cottage and oh, there's that house. It's like, it looks exactly the same. But that again goes to that conservation society who has worked so hard to protect the, the natural beauty and, and keep things um, gentle and not built up. Right, right. And I went to sleepaway camp when I was a kid for six summers for a mm-hmm. month at a time. And I think it Where just, did you go? Well, I went to a, um, I'm Jewish. I went to yep. a conservative Jewish sleepaway camp called Camp Ramah in Palmer, Massachusetts. Um, oh, Palmer's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And it was on a lake and, you know, sort of a little bit similar. Um, but I can relate to that feeling of, you know, you don't have any responsibility. Right. You're just right. there and you're, you're like the days take on a different quality because you're just like with peers and pursuing things you're interested in and also just doing nothing. Um, and you know, like just swimming. Um, and it's, uh, there's something really, the memory of that time is a very special thing. Um, my yeah. kids actually go to that camp now. And so I went back for the first time and you go back uh-huh. and it's like, Oh my gosh, this is where it was. You know, it seems like a made up place almost. Yeah. Oh, it feels very made up when I, when I go there, I do. And I think the art fair punches that the most to me because it's like this, like all of a sudden this like magical place in the woods with the twinkle lights and hundreds of people drive and come to this fair that like in the, it's like Xanadu and then it goes away the next morning. It's like, it's all gone. It's back to pine trees. And so that, that piece, but I do want to go back to what you were saying, since you've had the experience, there are two things that came to me as you were sharing that one was you get so into the present moment. You're just so very, very awake and very, very alive. And that's what happened for me at art fest. I became incredibly awake. I woke up in a way and what you were describing as a kid being there, that sense of time, you're so in the moment. You're not distracted by worries and stresses and things. And so that's part of the experience that I think has great appeal. But I wanted to ask you, for you, when you were going for all those summers, is part of the experience or was part of the experience for you the relationships, the friendships that you made? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Um, for sure. Like camp friends are a special kind of friend. Yeah, for sure. And that's what happens at Squamart workshops yeah. for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. Right. And I've, I've heard a lot of people who, um, you know, come back from Squam who are bloggers or who I know from Twitter, or I know from Instagram and, um, and they're, they'll be like, you know, I want to write a post about squam about the weekend, but I can't even write about it. Like I don't, (laughs) I don't know where to begin. I don't know how to describe it. And I just wondered what you feel like they're getting at with that feeling of just sort of not being able to put it down. That's beautiful because it's, it's an experience. It's an experience. It's, it's not a thing. It's not a class. It's not, um, it's what you get is ineffable. It's ephemeral. It is unquantifiable. You know, you had it, you know, it's real, but it cannot. And, and, and that's why with the raves, that's where I just direct people and like, what is this? What are you doing? I'm like, you know what? Just go to the raves and read what other people write because a, it's better than if I try and tell you what it is and B <clears throat> they're saying the same thing over and over again. It's like, I can't put it into words, but I'm going to try. <clears throat> Here are some photographs. It's an experience. It's an experience. It's what is, what I, my job, I'm kind of like the program director, um, not program director. What is it? Stage manager. I'm like a stage manager. I'm like behind the scenes, like setting things up and making sure like, Oh, this scene needs a broom and this scene needs bowls and whatever. But it's like creating this stage and then the people who come, the teachers and the people, it doesn't matter if you came the time before you, you aren't the same person you were the last time you came a year has passed. Um, it, it never stays the same. It can never stay the same because each time you come together, it's a different group of people and it's a different set of classes and it's a different 
weather can happen differently. And so it's theater. It's, it's an ephemeral experience. We all come together. We're all in this moment. We're all in this weekend. And then it goes away. And that's why people, and also I do think some people have a very deep personal experience and they don't actually want to blog about it or share it because it's almost, it almost to try and put it into words kind of brings it down. Like, Oh, woo woo. That sounds woo woo. You know? And so they don't, they don't want to share it because it's like, I had it and it's, it's personal. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell us a little bit about, I mean, you described sort of what kinds of classes work well, um, and what kinds of classes like are not really feasible in the environment, but tell us like some specifics, like who are some of the instructors who have taught at Squam this past year and what do you look for in the kinds of classes that you bring in? Um, what do you think, you know, the, the people who attend Squam and want to take classes will like, you know, how do you figure that out? <laughs> That's the magic question. <laughs> That's the magic question. Um, I don't have it figured out. Um, I do pretty well. I think, I think that's like the magic sauce. Um, I put together classes that I personally, me would want to take. That's number one. Like if I don't want to take the class, I don't generally offer it. I don't think like, Oh, I think someone out there will like it. Um, it, I have to be really, really passionate about it. I have to be like, Oh my God, I want to be in that class. Um, last year. Oh, now you're really testing me. Uh, (laughs) you know, I, there, there are people who have come, um, repeatedly. Um, gosh, that's, that's probably hard. I think I'd be easier I'd be easier saying who's coming this year just because of my brain freeze. Right. You're um, like moved on I, to the like, next. Who've come, who've come before. And then sure. I can sort of talk about how I bring teachers yeah. in because I have some interesting stories there. And I do think that that's one of um, the gifts that I feel personally I do um, that I'm really proud of, which is so um, this coming year in June, um, some new teachers, Bristol Ivy, Amy Christophers, Thea Coleman, Kate Atherley, um, those are all knitters and they, um, are coming for the first time. I mean, Bristol and Amy and Thea have come up to Squam for the fair, but they're coming to teach. Gudrun Johnston is going to be teaching. Um, and she's been teaching since the beginning. I think the only year she didn't teach in the spring was maybe 2009. Um, we have poetry with Sarah Sousa. Um, we have embroidery with Joetta Maui and, um, Beth Miller is coming and teaching rug hooking and wood has come several years in a row. She does fall and spring this year. She's doing spring. Um, and she teaches these amazing created, um, you just have to go to her website to see what she makes. She it's, it's sewing and embroidery, but she creates figures and botanicals and they're awesome. And Colleen Atara has Colleen Atara's story is interesting. She came and she came and attended Squam. And then, um, now she is teaching and she teaches mixed media and I absolutely adore her to the moon and back. I'm actually sitting in the office looking at her cards. We sell her cards here at the studio, um, and her words, actually, she's a huge, huge, um, I'm a huge fan. Carrie Lemon comes all the way from the UK and she teaches drawing. Susa Talon is teaching a mixed media writing sacred spirit class. Um, Terry Doucher uh, teaches. It, this one I love because people get really empowered. They use um, power tools. We go out to Terry's studio and um, they learn how to use tools and they're and the empowerment is incredible. When you learn how to make your own bookcase, when you learn how to make your own table, when you learn how to make your own cupboard, it's like people are on fire. They're like, I'm going home and I'm making all this stuff. And That's awesome. Um, and then in the fall, we have a bunch of great teachers. Harriet Goodall's coming back from Australia, which I'm super excited about. I adore her weaving. Um, one person, this was kind of the story I wanted to tell you about was, um, Aqua Holmes, who's in Boston. I found her, um, I found her work. She's mixed media. I absolutely love her work and um, reached out to her. And again, she's, you know, she's got a very urban style and she lives in Roxbury. So I wasn't even sure she'd be interested. And um, she was, she loves teaching. She's just a total kindred spirit. We had some great connections. And so she's coming up in September. And then on Martin Luther King Day, I was on Google because that's my homepage. And there was this artwork 
And I was like, God, that looks so familiar. My God, that looks just like Equa. And it's just like, and it was, it was hers. And I was just like, that was very, very cool. That's I just, amazing. Her work is sort of like Ezra Jack Keats in a way. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like a collage, like sort of collage illustration. Yes. Um, and it's re- really beautiful. Yeah. Yes. And then another um, new teacher that I um, found um, just again through just, I just look for people that I haven't seen out teaching in workshops because obviously um, if people teach in lots of places, just from a business standpoint, you know, if you can take a class with someone in California, why would you get on a plane and come to New Hampshire? You know, so I think that's part of my job is to bring new people to the fore. But what's been really wonderful is um, I have found that Squam is a great platform for people to launch their careers in some instances, you know, if that's what they want to do. Um, They get some really good exposure and they, if they like teaching, um, then they go on and, and get invitations in lots of other places. And so um, Dana Ray is coming to do gouache, which we've never had a class strictly on gouache. So, um, so yeah, it's just, I'm excited. It's, it's good. Like, um, there's just tons of yummy people. Come. Paige Sargison's coming and you're into jewelry. Oh my God. She's like from, I think she's in Brooklyn and she's just like, there's sometimes I look at people and they write me and they're like, they want to come teach. I'm like, seriously, do you know, do you know we're going to be in the woods? Do you know? It's like in nowheresville but they come yeah well i feel like i mean to me at least in my the way that i see it i feel like you know you're kind of like the a premier the premier place to to go like you're the oh yeah yeah you're the art workshop i mean absolutely people people are like are you going to squam you know like yeah for sure very very generous yeah and i and i also think like um as a first teaching experience, it must be really wonderful. I know I had Ann Wood on the podcast some time ago. Isn't and she cool? She is. And um, she's she's amazing. But she was talking about how teaching at Squam was either one of or the first time that she had taught. It was the first time she taught. Yeah, um, people to make the things that she makes. And <laughs> afterward, I think it really had like an overall effect on her about sort of deciding to share her patterns with other people. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. just so, you know, I don't know. It's just such an interesting experience that, you know, that teaching can have for somebody who maybe has never done it before and gets to do it at Squam as the first experience. Thank you so much for that recognition because um, I do spend a lot of energy there. You know, when I reach out to an artist, teaching is its own art, as you know. And so someone can be a phenomenal artist and not be a teacher. And someone might have the potential to be a teacher, but you know, it, it takes some learning. And I've been teaching since I was 19. So for me, it's like, let me help you shepherd. Like someone, I can name off a bunch of people who taught for the first time at Squam and I got very involved with helping them structure it. And I kept their classes small the first year and I'd have an assistant there, or I actually wrote the curriculum or, you know, whatever it took. But um, you know, Maya Donenfeld um, started teaching at Squam. Flora Bully started teaching painting at Squam. She was a yoga teacher. Um, and, you know, they've gone on to do yeah. amazing things. And so when I approached Anne and she was just like, ooh, I don't know. I've never taught before. And I was like, oh. And, and it turns out she's a phenomenal teacher, just a phenomenal, generous, fabulous teacher. People, Her class was one of the first ones to sell out this, this year. And... Um, and yet it also opened her eyes up to like, oh, well, I could, I could offer patterns, which, you know, we shared a cottage last fall. And so we were talking, you know, things like what we've been doing and how, how things have been growing. And she had this whole thing that had grown out of this. And, and that does feel, um, it feels good. I've, it feels good to see things go forward in such beautiful ways and know that I had some um, part of helping um, create a space where people can expand their creative stuff. So yeah. thank yeah. you for and acknowledging sure. that. Well, yeah. And it's not just for the the people taking classes, but it can also be for the instructors as well, I think is mm-hmm. what I was getting at. And that that's really wonderful. And um, so a couple of questions. Is it competitive to get into the classes? In other words, when the you know, everyone who's registered has signed up and then, you know, the classes are open release. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. is it like a crazy scramble, which I know it can be like at QuiltCon, you know, it like Mm -hmm. the server crashes and everybody's Mm -hmm. like going crazy or is it sort of more Zen? I mean, how, how do you figure that part Mm -hmm. out? Um, 
it got a little crazy a couple of years ago. We do everything by hand, just so you know. We don't use um, generated programs um, because I just I'm I'm very hands on in terms of. Um, putting people into cottages, putting people together. There's just really something about certain groups coming together. And um, I can get a vibe from someone. And, and if someone's coming for the first time and they're coming by themselves and I get a vibe of oh, like, oh, I think they would like these people over here. And, and so that's been a big piece of it. And then the other thing in terms of the classes, um, yeah, things got a little intense because I didn't have the pre-registration in place. And so they just, people just get very stressed out. They're like, Oh, what if I don't get my class? And this, this bubble of energy grew. So what I began doing was in December, I just put up a pre-registration. I'm like, look, just if you pre-register your spots, guaranteed, you're not guaranteed a cottage, you're not, which cottage, you're not guaranteed which classes, but you're guaranteed a spot. And that changed everything. People just breathed easier. They knew that I was going to make sure they were going to get the classes they wanted. And they, on the form, they have three choice. You know, they can do as many as they want, but they give me their first three choices. Like what's the number one class you want most? And then what's the next class and what's the next class? So as I'm processing it, if their number one choice is closed on Thursday, but open on Friday, you know, I can look at that and go, Oh, well then I'll put them in the Friday session and then I'll put their other class on Thursday. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it, maybe I could create a computer program to do it, but but it's with easy. just with just two hundred people, it's like sort of manageable for you. Like it's you, you can hand right. do it. Yeah, I can hand do it. And this is the oddest, oddest thing. And I have no idea how it happens, but somehow everybody, it's like that game. Do you remember that drop four game where they're like little discs at the top and they all kind of drop down and it's like that. Like everybody's first choices aren't the same. Uh So yes, there are popular classes and there are classes that close before other classes, but if you get your registration in to me within the first two weeks, you pretty much always get one, if not both of your first choices. Right. It's just the way it goes. I yeah. don't know how, I don't know how it works. Well, it's perhaps, right. I mean, perhaps because you're selecting enough sort of a, a variety of interesting and desirable instructors that there's, you know, like the, the people who are signing up are signing up for different reasons. And so it right. evens itself out. I think that that might be part of I it. Think so. you're, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things people will write is they'll say, okay, these are my first two choices, but honestly, it was so hard to choose. Right. So I really don't care. <laughs> so put me so, in something. Yeah, <laughs> right, kind right, of, right, sort of. Right, right. So there, there is that. It's, I, I mean, it's so rare. It's just so rare that someone sends a, a registration in that, that says, I can hardly, maybe last year, someone will send a registration like, These, this is the only class I want. If I can't be in this class, please refund, you know, right. and I'll be like, hey, that's not okay. a problem. Like, yeah, in sure. the sense, like, if it's open, you're in. And if right. it's not, here's your refund. Like, sure. It's fine. But it's really rare that someone's that rigid. Right. Um, most people who come are really open to the experience and very open to everything's working out for them in the best way possible. And it's really what happens. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, I've had this experience before where I didn't get my first choice at something, got like a second or third choice, and it turned out to be better than Mm. what my first, you know, so sometimes, you know, luck of the draw can be better than what you had planned out. So right. Can I ask you, as you've gone to events, what are some of your favorite things in your experiences as you've gone to, have you gone to quilting or embroidery or what do you, what do you I, I'll, get, I'll get back to you in March because I'm going to Craftcation, which is the oh, first cool. time that I've been to sort of an event related to what I do now. So mm-hmm. I, I don't have um, direct okay, feedback have yet, but, I'll, okay. <laughs> but I'll get back to you on that. What are you going to take there? Um, well, I'm teaching a bunch of classes. I haven't chosen what I'm going to take yet, but I was just looking at the roster today and there's all of these interesting things. So oh. it's going to be hard to choose, but I think like you said, there's there are a lot of things that I'm interested in and a lot of people that I really want to meet and see teach. So I think mm. I'll be happy. I what mean, are you teaching? Um, I'm teaching a class about um, email newsletters and how to set one up to build community around your art and around what you make. Um, and then I'm sitting in on, well, I'm hosting a, po- a panel on podcasting and then I'm sitting on two other panels, one about work-life balance and one about managing a business. So that's podcasting is, yeah. just so, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get it at first, but now 
Well, A, I, I, I got introduced to it through knitters because now it makes so much sense. As you're knitting, you want to listen to something. You don't necessarily right. want to be watching something. Right. And it's just so enriching and so, oh, I'm so into it. But it took me a while. I, I didn't get it. And now I'm like, what's your favorite podcast? <laughs> like, podcasts are I hope, so cool. Yeah, I hope that that's the case for lots of people because I agree with you 100% on that one. So, well, um, I love your podcast. I was oh, just thank listening you. to the one you did with Posey. With, oh, uh, yeah, Alicia. Mm-hmm. Alicia, that yeah. was Oh, she, that was so good. I she's, it. she's awesome. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, it gives me an excuse to like call everybody I like on the phone <laughs> and talk to them. So it's been perfect for me. But, um, but okay. So let's talk a little bit about, and you alluded to it earlier about the market. So you have, is it an evening when people who are at Scrum, yeah, can have the, like, the fair, exactly. Can sell their wares. And as you said, people from outside come in and mm-hmm. shop. And so was that always part of the, of the experience or did you bring that in sort of at some point later after you'd already started and sort of why, like, why have that as part of it? It was always there from the very beginning, and I do have to share this one story with you because I still can't believe it happened. But uh, the very first year, 2008, um, I had the art fair on Saturday night, and the reason for it was I had no budget to offer teachers travel money, and most of the teachers were coming from the West Coast. So I felt that if I had a fair, they could make back their travel money by selling their work. So that was my reason for doing the fair originally. Um, I had no idea it would grow into what it's grown into. And it's its own separate entity, really, in a sense. I mean, it's all part of the weekend, but it's really its own. So it's a big deal for me, anyway. Um, so the first year, it wasn't on campus at the camps because I didn't even ask for the space. I didn't think they'd ever let me have carloads of people come through. And I didn't think people would drive there. It was like, you're, it just didn't seem, it's remote. It didn't seem like anyone would come. So I set it up in town, which was Sandwich, which is the town I lived in at the time, in the elementary school. And I had a whole program where you had a passport. If you went to these other little shops in downtown on Main Street, and then you came and came to the fair. Um, and I went, and this is the same weekend where I was running this whole thing for the very first time by myself. And, um, I had three full days of classes and, um, I, I went up and I was like setting up tables and I was setting up the whole thing and I was making lunch dinners for the teachers cause I knew they hadn't had dinner yet. And it was just like, when I look back at that now, I'm like, I have no idea how I did that. I just like, I have no idea how that happened. But the first year it was in town. And then, um, the directors at Rocky world were like, why are you taking everyone up there? Have them come here. And I was like, oh, I could have it here? And they were like, yeah, sure. So then the first June was 2009. We had the first fair in June when Ravelry, Ravelry, it was the Ravelry Revelry. And it still is the Ravelry Revelry. And say that five times fast. <laughs> and, um, and that was it. Then it was like we were, there was no going back because what people loved was they got a chance to come on campus and sit by the lake and see all the beauty and go to the fair. So it was like this little – it was a wonderful little excursion. It was like everybody wanted to come, and I didn't get that. I was like, why would anyone want to drive all the way? And it's like because then they could be at the camp. It's right. beautiful. Right. So, um, so it's taken on its own thing, and um, it's kind of extraordinary, but – I have it on really good, you know, people who do Renegade and Unique in LA and um, lots of fairs have told me it's, they do in two hours at Guam what they would do better in two, two days at a, at a fair. It, because yeah. it's a very, very, like, there's only about maybe four or five, 600 people who come, but they are your ideal buyer. They're coming to buy and they want exactly what you're selling. Right, so it's right. not like they're just like wandering through to get a candy cane, you know, or right. a snow cone and there's an art fair. It's like, they're coming for this. And so, right. Um, and they're not going to leave without buying something. I mean, oh, right. Yeah. If you've driven all the way there right. and you've set aside that time, you're going to buy something. And the stuff is amazing. I yeah. mean, the vendors who come, and lots of vendors come. First dibs go to teachers because it's always still for the teachers first. And then, um, but not all the teachers want to sell. And then um, next dibs goes to anyone who wants to vend from the attendees. And then it's open to anyone who comes. And we always have, I would say, at least 40, 45% of the people who vend are coming from outside. And 
you know, it's just the end result is like the, the work is just gorgeous and it's just beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful so, yarns, hand dyed yarns and all kinds of stuff. So how many vendors do you have for that? 40. Okay. And you right. can never go over 40. Okay. It's like maxed. Right. Yeah. So you have a lot of time then to sort of walk around the whole space yes. and see everybody and then come back. Cause that's how I shop at craft fairs. Like I want to see everything and then I go back and I'm like, that exactly. was the one you thing I do, wanted. Yeah, exactly. You want to do the loops, yeah. get the whole sus of the thing. Right. And it's also a party. I mean, it's really a party. It's, you know, we call it a revelry and this fall, it's kind of exciting. Creative bug is hosting, um, the fair this year in the fall and they're calling it the creative bug has So it's going to be fabulous and Moroccan, but it's definitely a party. I mean, there's free beer and there's cake and there's all, there's prizes and raffles. And so it's really fun. And it's the last night for anyone who's been there all week for the weekend. It's their last night together. So they're going around and saying goodbyes and buying things and buying stuff to bring home to their kids. And it's just, it's a party. It's really fun. Yeah. So That's cool. It sounds like it was a really good idea that kind of started, um, you know, with one particular motivation, but actually has become almost vital to the whole experience. Yeah. That's cool. That you're so insightful. It's, it's crazy. You're helping me see, but that's (laughs) actually how everything good in my life has been. When I have, for instance, Squam was for one other woman. When I came back from Art Fest, I didn't know who she was, but in my mind, I was like, there's got to be one other woman in New Hampshire who thinks she has a social disorder and who needs this. Like, And she might not know about Art Fest and she might not be able to afford to go there or have childcare or whatever. So in my mind, when I was creating Squam originally, I had this like very singular focus. Like, There's got to be this one woman. And all kinds of things have grown out from that. And I, and I feel that that's a really nice approach to life and to projects is to just keep like a really clear focus and then allow it to have its own life. Like I didn't have any vision for the art fair and I really honestly did not have a vision for Squam. I thought it was a one-time event. I was teaching at the time. I had, it was, I was not I was never looking to be an arts retreat administrator. I promise. <laughs> I never had that on my, like, I can't, it's my bucket list. I can't wait till I grow right. up and I'm like an event right. coordinator. Um, but here I am. So I just feel like if you keep really focused on a seed of something, then let it grow. It'll, it'll do its own thing. It will, especially if you're really seeding it from a place of love and passion and authenticity, it will, you don't have to worry at all about how it grow. And Squam now, despite like sort of not having, you know, grand plans for it the first year or whatever, but it is now your business, right? Like this is your full-time job. This is how you support yourself (laughs) all year. This is your job. And do you have support staff who work with you throughout the year or just seasonally? No, I do. I have both. Um, and it changes each year as Squam has changed. I have changed. My needs have changed. Um, but right now I have a full-time employee, like just on the books. Yeah. IRS knows about him and everything full-time employee. And then I do have, um, two seasonal employees who are going to be helping me out who are both Squamies. They've come Squam, Mindy Sonis and, um, Nina Gilbert. Um, they, I'm just saying, realizing she probably, it's probably Nina. It's Nina Bina. Um, anyway, so it's Nina Gilbert, but she, they are going to help me because I've never taught at Squam, even though I'm a teacher and I love to teach. My first teaching at Squam was an online workshop I did last spring. And it was such a pleasure that, um, I was like, I got to do this. So they are going to cover me. This is kind of an experiment. We'll see how it goes, but they're going to cover me for spring so that I can actually teach. So we'll see how that goes. So they're going to help out with like the fair and, you know, yeah, all the stuff. Out stuff. Yeah. But yeah, Forrest, Forrest Elliott is my full-time employee and I absolutely, I, I can't do it by myself. There's no way. Yeah. Um, and the funny thing is though, I still get asked all the time when people are like, so what do you do? And I'll be like, Oh, I run these art treats. And they're like, so what do you do the rest of the year? Right. <laughs> Have you, Like, have you ever planned a wedding? And like, how long did that take you? Well, imagine four weddings in a row. Right. And then you'll start to understand. Yeah. But you can't explain it to people. I don't know. I don't know why it takes as much time as it does. Well, yeah. I mean, I just going back to my summer camp, 
experience. So now, as I said, my kids go to my camp and, you know, they email us, you know, in December, we have to sign up for camp in Dece- early mm-hmm. December. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, yeah, these are, this is like a, a whole office full of people's full-time mm-hmm. job is to get yeah. these two months in the summer plans. You know, like, yeah, it's it a is. lot of work. It's a lot so, of work. Yeah. I'm very much, I am, you know, just a super planner so that there's a lot of relaxed time. Like I'm, I'm a big believer. It's just my way of life in general. It's like, I like to do everything on the front end, you know, so that then you get lots of time to relax. So I do dial in all the details and think about everything so that then it can just be, and I'm not there fussing over things. And I, um, so yeah, I'm a yeah. planner. It's- yeah, I'm a planner too. And I also front load lots of work, the same, front the load. same approach. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of that, so sort of one final question, just about the experience of Squam before we move on to some of your recommendations. Um, is there time built in, or I guess maybe people can build time in just by choosing what they schedule and don't schedule for the weekend. But, um, is there time built in for just doing nothing or if you just wanted to sit on the dock, you know, or go on a run or whatever, like how possible it is, is it to have just sort of unscheduled or downtime for the people who are sort of introverted or just need some time alone? You are amazing. So a few minutes ago, you asked me something about the teachers and taking care of the teachers. And I was going to tell you this bit and then I didn't because I didn't want to take us off track. But um, one of the things I put into place for the teachers was, um, originally when I first started school, it was three, six hour classes, three, six hour classes. That's pretty intense. Yeah. So by, by Saturday night, everybody was happy, but they were completely fried. They couldn't, it, they didn't have time to integrate and process everything they'd been learning and experience. There was no breathing time. So I took out one of the classes and of course everyone went into an uproar like, you're taking stuff away. And I'm like, just chill out, relax, see how it goes. And as a result, like for instance, since in June, you have a full day of class on Thursday, but Friday morning, there's no classes. So the teachers get a breathing space and the students get a breathing space. And that's a time where you can sit on the dock, sleep in, go back to the studio, keep working on what you were working on last night. It's just that breathing time to like process and receive everything that the day before had been bringing to you. Um, and it is funny. There are, there are no shortage of type A's who are like, but what else is there to do? So I do have, I do put in some very optional workshops. Like in the spring, we have this, um, Japanese boro stitching and we have, um, uh, and wheel is going to be doing, uh, arm knitting and, Yay. um, yeah, so just different things, um, on offer, but they're very loose and you don't, there's nothing required. If you signed up, you still don't have to show up. If you decide, I really want to go for a swim instead, no harm, no foul, but I do have a couple of things in place. Um, and yeah, so that came again, me taking care of the teachers and, and the students too. I mean, the whole, I'm a, I'm a mother hen. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, that was my failing early on. I was doing too much. Like the very first year you might fall, fall over, but I arranged everybody's travel the first year. Wow. I mean, I was so worried that they wouldn't know how to get there. And then someone was just like, you know, we all get around on our own the other 364 days. Like I was like, oh, okay. So, um, so I've backed off a lot, but I do, I'm a, I'm a nurturer. I like, I want people to feel good. You know, that's my goal. I just want you to have a, I want you to feel good. And I feel um, with women, I mean, the retreats are open to everyone and there's about 10% men who come, but it's mostly women who gather and they just, you know, they take care of so many people and they're doing so much and life is so full and it's so driven. I just, I want them to just have some time to feel good. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah. 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 Totally. I think that that's a great mission. That is really a great mission. So, <laughs> go you. Um, all right. So let's just, um, let's make sure we, we hit on a couple of recommendations and I have one very short recommendation, but, um, we are, we already talked about, um, is it Equa Holmes? Um, Equa Holmes. Yeah. Yeah. And her artwork and which I'll link oh, to so people can website. check it out. Yeah. 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 I didn't beautiful. realize she lives so close to me. So I'll have to see if I can, um, see an exhibit somewhere nearby. Wait, are you, you're, you're outside Boston. Yeah. In Wellesley. What? Yeah, yeah. 
Wellesley's where my sister lives. She's on Pine Street. Oh, I have to come. I'll come. Have to come. <laughs> my, my ex-husband, I spent so much of my life in Wellesley. Oh, that's funny. That's a whole other conversation. Uh, we'll have to chat. For okay. some reason, I thought you were in D.C. Oh, no, okay. I'm originally from the D.C. area, though. We're yeah. so getting together. You're in my hood, girlfriend. Um, yeah, totally. Um, exactly. I'll send you. If, if she has any kind of shows, I will yeah, definitely Yeah, I'll have to go and see right. because yeah. it looks amazing. And so, and there's another artist that you recommended, um, Jeremy. Me, Miranda. Isn't his work beautiful? Oh my goodness. So you sent me your list yesterday and I was clicking through, looking at he's everything. Not far. I think he's out in the coast of Maine. So describe his paintings because wow, like totally like nothing I've seen before. Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. I would have to have it right in front of me if you want to. Um, can I just spell his last name for me? So um, I think it's Miranda, like M-I-R-A-N-D-A. Let me just bring them up. Yeah. Cause, um, Oh God, they're just, <laughs> I, I find them to be everything that I love in painting. First of all, they're new England and I'm partial to new England. I like the new England architecture. What can I say? Um, they feel, they feel poetic. I, his use of light, yeah. his use of nature, um, there's just a very dreamy quality to them. That's exactly not, how I thought. Like it looks like a dream, but they're not sentimental. No. So it, there's like a clean edge to them and they feel like real places, but they also feel like places that I would really like to sit in. Um, yeah, there's just, I just, Oh, I just, I just love his work. Yeah. I love his work. Totally. I love his lines. I love his use of color. Um, I think it's, I think it's just that it's, it feels very familiar to me. As I say, he's, he's, he's putting images together of places I feel like I live and I visit. Um, but he's doing it in a way that feels very fresh. And I also like a traditional style. I'm not, um, I don't know. I just, yeah, I just love his work. They're evocative. They, 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 they're just beautiful. And I find they're them like um, juxtapos- juxtapositions of different things together that you wouldn't mm-hmm. expect together, which I think mm-hmm. is interesting. So, because mm-hmm. I actually tend to like things that are more modern and abstract, but his work really appealed to me because of those juxtapositions. Like it almost throws you off. You're like, wait a minute, why are those two things together? Yeah, <laughs> so. especially if you look through his 2012, like you know where he's got like the ocean out the window and there's the computer yeah. sitting there, <laughs> like, and you know his all the greenhouses he did. All those lines to me, those feel like a really modern, clean. Like if someone like modern mid-century, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, the 2012 work. I think if you if you like more of a modern California edge, um, I would suggest looking at those. Yeah, totally yeah. cool. All right. Well, thank you for. It's sometimes it's hard to find, you know, good recommendations for new artists you haven't heard from. So I think those two are really good good ones. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And I wanted to just recommend a podcast that I've been loving. Um, I've gotten recently more and more into learning about journalism, which is not something that I really came into this knowing much about, but is sort of a newer interest. And so I've been listening to the long form podcast. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, um, a group of guys who host it and they kind of take turns doing the interviews. So one week it will be one of them interviewing the guests and the next week it'll be another. And the show's about an hour and they interview people who write primarily long form pieces, but who write primarily for the internet, you know, who write for uh, Gawker, who write for, um, you know, the hairpin, Slate. Okay. yeah, who write for Slate, who, and who write for the New York Times, who write for the New Yorker, but definitely a focus on people who write for online. And Where are they based? You know, I don't know. I haven't done research on it. Oh, okay. You know, no, I'm just curious. I'm totally going to check that out. That sounds right up my alley. I yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I write a lot for the internet and, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. a different sort of thing because you have, first of all, you can update what you're writing. So if you've, you know, if, if things have changed or there's been, you know, a development, you can go back in and add that. And that's something that's really different from writing for print. And then there's comments and shares and a certain level of, you know, potential vulnerability that comes with that. So, um, these guests that they have, 
have so much insight into that and also just generally into journalism, like how to, um, you know, collect information from sources, how to find sources, um, like how, whether somebody is on the record, off the record, on background, on deep background, like these are things that I don't know a lot about, mm-hmm. but I'm sort of learning about. So I've like pieced it together by listening to like, you know, a hundred <laughs> I like that this, this obsessive like listening. So anyway, it's been great for me. And, um, and so people who are listening to the show who might be interested in journalism, I recommend the long form podcast. Cause oh, I'm totally checking lovely. it out. Yeah. Well, totally checking very it out. well done. So, <laughs> um, all right. Well, that was my only recommendation. So Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Wall Street Apps podcast. I really enjoy talking with you. Abby, you are a total delight and you're in Wellesley. So watch out. I'm just up your driveway. <laughs> yeah, totally. Live. We, we gotta hang get, out. We gotta get together sometime soon. I would so, love that. Yeah. So, where can we connect with you and with Squam online? Uh, SquamArtWorkshops.com. There's a blog there, and um, I am not the best, but I I do try and keep up connecting. Uh, you know, I, I have Mystic Vixen, which I haven't posted at since September. I moved, and I had a lot going on here this fall. So, um, but and I also had a blog, which. I might get back into in a month um, about Providence called Provi Love. But mostly if you want to find me um, and what I'm most recently doing, it's um, squamartworkshops.com, the blog. And then I'm also on Instagram every day. Yeah. So, but that's and, just, you know, if people follow images. But right. mine are just of my dogs. So I can't imagine it's like... <laughs> That's exciting. You can definitely connect with um, with Elizabeth and her dogs on Instagram for sure. And also, you're off, you're often like out in nature, taking pictures of where you live and stuff. So it gives a little bit of a sense of what it looks like near you. So oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I do. I yeah do. absolutely. All right, awesome. So you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, and I invite you to visit my blog WalshyNaps.com, where you'll find helpful information for creative entrepreneurs as well as tutorials and patterns for making stuffed animals and dolls. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.